We are now in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. And uh, this passage is really, really interesting because once we hit 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you've been with us the past few months, you might remember that um, from that point on, Paul began to address different questions that the Corinthians had that they wrote him about, whether it was food sacrificed to idols and, and going into pagan idols to participate in these social uh, uh, feasts, or if it had to do with marriage and, and singlehood, um, if it had to do with uh, communion, various different things. And now Paul addresses another topic that was brought up to him, and that's the topic of spiritual gifts. So um, if you are familiar with spiritual gifts, you may be very familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Chapters 12, 13, and 14, these three chapters are one of the, the, the largest sections in the New Testament on spiritual gifts. It's where we learn a lot about what spiritual gifts are, how they are to be used, and it's extremely important in, in helping us to understand this. Now, I, we are a church that does believe in the spiritual gifts for today, uh, but I, I know that maybe... When you guys hear, hear spiritual gifts, there might be various different feelings here. Uh, some of you might be like, yeah, finally. Man, I've been, I can't believe we started on 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. I've been waiting to get to chapter 12, to hear about the spiritual gifts and the power of God and all that stuff. I'm, I'm just waiting for that. I can't wait. We're finally here. Others of you are like, maybe like, oh, Ah, that's weird. Can we just skip over to chapter 15? And, uh, you know, I just, I just really don't like this stuff with spiritual gifts, and it, it feels weird, and I've had various different experiences with that. Can we just, just skip over that? So there could be various different experiences and feelings here in this room. Um, some people, there definitely are people in the kingdom of God who are not as open to the spiritual gifts or just simply don't believe that they're for today. And there could be various reasons for that. One reason might be, you might find people who say that they're open to spiritual gifts, uh, that theoretically, in terms of what the Bible says, they're open to the possibility that spiritual gifts are still for today. Things like prophecy, tongues, uh, uh, things like that. But for all intents and purposes, in terms of what's happening in their spiritual life and in their church, there is no evidence of the spiritual gifts and there's no desire to actually pursue them, to pray for them, to study them and want to discover how this should work in the life of a believer and in a church. So functionally, they are cessationists. Now, cessationist is a term, uh, it's rooted in the word cease, as in you believe the gifts have ceased. So those are cessationists. I hear sometimes some people say sensationalists. No, not, that's not right. Not a, they're not sensationalists. Maybe some of them are. Not all of them. It's cessationists. They believe the gifts have ceased. So some people may say that they're open to spiritual gifts, but if it's not in their life, they're not pursuing it in any way. Um, maybe if they're a pastor and when they get to passages on the spiritual gifts, they skip over them or they just never preach on those, and they're functionally sensationalist, right? Functionally sensationalist in, in their church and their spiritual lives. Another reason might be that people feel like these gifts have ceased and they no longer are for today, especially the gifts like prophecy, miraculous works, um, potentially healing, tongues, interpretation of tongues. And, and one of the main arguments used for this view is that, well, once the New Testament was finished and we have the Bible 
we no longer need things like prophecy and, and all of those spiritual gifts were for the earlier time in the church. Or maybe when the church was born, it was like a young baby, right? So they needed a boost. They needed a spiritual boost. So God really empowered them. But now that the church is really established, they, they didn't need spiritual gifts after, after the first couple of generations of Christians. Now, I'll, I'll deal with this more in chapter 13 because we will touch upon that argument there. And, um, and I think chapter 13 shows that no, gifts are still something that are for today. So we will get there. A third reason is maybe some people just straight up like they think that spiritual gifts are demonic or something. They're like, no, no, that's just, that's just bad spiritual stuff, um, especially when it comes to tongues, right? That's one that's kind of um, talked about and, and, and somewhat controversial to some people. Or maybe some people have just had a, you know, have a bad taste in their mouth because of negative experiences with spiritual gifts. And they've you know, been to churches where spiritual gifts are oftentimes merged together with really murky, poor theology and things done in really weird ways. Um, oftentimes, spiritual gifts are, are kind of connected with like the name it and claim it type of theology that says if you, just, if you just believe enough, God will do whatever you want. Sometimes it's connected with prosperity gospel that says, God, you know, if you're, if you're a Christian, God wants you to be rich. He doesn't want you to be sick. And a lot of times these things are connected or just straight up in churches that believe in the gifts, just the teaching and the theology is not really grounded in the word of God, or they kind of, there's a cursory uh, tip of the hat to the word of God, but then now let's go into the gifts and the prophecy and the tongues, and, and the word of God is really, really um, relegated to the sidelines. And, and certainly, there are churches within which this stuff happens, but we have, to, we have to acknowledge the fact that, yes, spiritual gifts can be abused, and it can leave a bad taste in people's mouths, but anything can be abused. Anything can be abused, can't it? Uh, uh, teaching. Teaching can be abused. We can teach the word of God in an incorrect, wrong way with wrong motivations. But the Bible doesn't say, stop teaching. The Bible says, no, correct the way that we teach. Teach properly. Um, even the way that we fellowship with each other. We can fellowship in the wrong way. We can have cliques in our church. We can um, treat each other in, in a negative way. We can gossip about each other, and we can have bad relationships in our church. But that doesn't mean we should not have any relationships at all and come into church and just stare straight down, stare straight up during the message, and then leave afterwards, don't connect with anybody. No, that's not what we do. We want to, as the Bible says, we want to relate to each other rightly in love, in care, in sacrifice. We want to connect with each other in the right way. So when it comes to spiritual gifts... It doesn't mean that we should throw it out because of some negative experiences or because some churches are doing this in a really poor way, but we should do it in the right way, in a biblical way. Um, uh, so let me read here first this text, verses 1 through 11, and then we'll, we'll come back to it here. So let's learn about what Paul says about how we should be treating spiritual gifts, what we can learn about them, and how we're to use them. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers... I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. 
to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So we can see here at the beginning of this chapter, Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts. He's getting to this question. And, and like I said before, um, anything can be abused. It doesn't mean we throw it out. It means we reform it. We do it in the way that the Bible says that we should do. And spiritual gifts, if we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in the beginning, Paul has a very positive view about this in terms of the Corinthians. He says, so that you are not lacking in any gift. That's the same word there, uh, the Greek word charisma, right, which is where we get this gift from. So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says that, hey, the Corinthian church is a very gifted church. The Holy Spirit is moving here in, in wonderful ways He's moving here powerfully in many of these spiritual gifts that you're seeing in this church. And those are good things. You're not lacking anything that you need while we are waiting for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that kind of gets into the next uh, chapter as well, chapter 13, uh, part of the argument about why gifts are needed from now until the return of Christ. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So um, here, when we look at this passage here, as we come through this, Paul is now talking about spiritual gifts. So as we look through this, what's going on here? He says that now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So what's Paul saying here? He's saying, okay, about spiritual gifts, you were ignorant about this before, before, when you were led astray, when you were not believers in Jesus Christ, you did not understand the workings of the Holy Spirit. And now he wants, now you do as Christians, you are moving in the power of the Holy Spirit, but Paul wants to explain this further to them. But verse 3, what does this mean when he says, no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit? What does this mean? Now, there's, there's various different interpretations of this, but um, when we look at this at face value, isn't this kind of strange? It says, no one speaking of the Spirit of God can ever say Jesus is accursed. Now, if you're a Christian, why would you ever say that? Why does Paul need to bring this up? What Christian in Corinth would ever say Jesus is accursed? And I know there's various different kind of explanations that people have tried to come up with. I don't think they're very convincing. Who would say this, right? On the flip side, he says no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, if Jesus is accursed, if we hear that and we say, well, how can anybody say that? When we hear Jesus is Lord, I think the opposite response is that, well, anyone can say that. If, if anybody is not a Christian, um, you know, there are plenty of people, you can go up and they say, hey, can you say Jesus is Lord? They're not going to go, oh, yeah, I can. 
Jesus that's not going to happen, right? That's not going to happen. He goes, ah, you see, I'm a Christian. You want to see Jesus is Lord. You see that? You want to be able to do that? Why don't you believe in Jesus? Anybody can say Jesus is Lord. You don't need to be a Christian to say Jesus is Lord. So what does Paul mean by this? I think what Paul is saying here is simply this. Simply this. To say that Jesus is Lord, was that was a radical confession for early Christians. That was a radical thing to say. Especially with Christianity coming out of a, a Jewish background. For, for Jews, many Christians coming who were Jews, who became Christians, this was blasphemy for Jews to say that Jesus is Lord. Couldn't say that. Also, pagans around them in the Greco-Roman world, for them, they believed in many lords, plural. So many different gods, as we've heard about in, in Corinth. Temples everywhere or in Athens. Temples to all these different gods. Statues and altars to so many different gods. There are so many different lords. Caesar is a lord, right? you got to bow down to Caesar. But for the Christian to say, no, there's only one lord, singular, was a radical thing to say. Was a radical thing to say. So what Paul, what's Paul saying? He's saying, anybody, anybody who confesses that Jesus is Lord has the Spirit of God. Okay? He's a Christian. Anybody who confesses that Jesus is Lord has the Spirit of God. Why is this important? Because what was happening in Corinth, remember this is a church filled with spiritual gifts, but there was an abuse going on here. And the abuse was this. There was one gift that was being elevated above all the others in the eyes of some of the people, especially of the people who had the gift. Can you guess what that gift is? Tongues. It was tongues. For some reason, in the Corinthian church, people who had the gift of tongues, probably because it seemed so visible or audible, I should say, to the community. It looked like such a supernatural thing that was going on. We believe tongues is speaking in an, uh, not an earthly language, in, in a supernatural spirit-empowered language. It looked so supernatural that they thought that they were more gifted than other people. They thought that they were more special. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying, no, anybody who confesses that Jesus is Lord has the Spirit. We all have the Spirit. He, see, he's setting them up to say, you're not more special because you have tongues. You shouldn't look down on others who don't have the gift of tongues. Um, this is where we differ um, a little bit from our, our Pentecostal brothers and sisters, uh, many of whom who love the Lord and are really on fire for God, but they believe that tongues is special in a way. They believe that tongues is evidence that you have received something called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's basically kind of like a spiritual like power up, <laughs> like a boost. So you, you become a Christian, right? And you have the Holy Spirit within you. But in Pentecostal theology, they say you also need to have this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, they base that off of the book of Acts in different ways that I disagree with. But they say you need this extra boost of the Holy Spirit. And if you have that boost of the Holy Spirit, how do you know? The proof is that you can speak in tongues, right? And, and we can get into this more later about why I disagree with that and, and many other um, people who believe in the spiritual gifts disagree with that. But we believe that tongues is not more special than any of the other gifts. And so Paul is trying to set 
the Corinthians up to understand this. He's trying to deal with that issue in their church. Now, I think that there's a, a kind of a contemporary application to this in our day and age. Because one of the big kind of debates within the Christian realm, maybe a little bit less so nowadays because there are the other issues in society, but one of the big debates was the charismatic versus cessationist debate. And um, the charismatics, because I'm just using that term because it's a popular term, are those who believe in the spiritual gifts for today. The cessationists are those who believe that the gifts have ceased and are no more. And there was a big debate between these two. So the cessationists would say things like, oh, these charismatics, kind of like what I said earlier, they don't respect the word of God. They don't interpret it well. They're just into all these gifts, but they're, they're just um, not preaching the word of God properly. All these kind of weird things. Look at that, their prosperity gospel. Look at that name it and claim it theology. And you know what? There's some truth in that. But, but again, as I said before, we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We, we learn to use the gifts right. Now, the charismatics, on the other hand, look at the cessationists and say, oh, these cessationists, they're these people who are just so into the word of God and studying it and splicing it and dicing it, but they know nothing about the power of God. They, they tend not to be people of prayer or fasting. They're not really into the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and they talk all about the word of God, but the word of God teaches that the gifts are for today. And, and the charismatics tend to look down upon the cessationists as people who don't have the spirit of God working within them in a powerful way. They look at them as spiritually dry folks. Now, I would say that that's also an extreme reaction and something we want to be careful about. Because, as Paul says, our brothers and sisters, the cessationist brothers and sisters, they also have the Spirit. Okay. Anyone who confesses that Jesus is Lord has the Spirit. We all have the Holy Spirit. Now, um, as we look here in verses 4 through 6 here, uh, I, I want to make this case a little bit more here. Because I think when we think spiritual gifts we can just kind of focus in and narrow in on prophecy, tongues, healing, miraculous powers, the things that seem more miraculous and flashy, and we think of those as spiritual gifts, and we think of cessationists or other people as, oh, you know, they're not into spiritual gifts because they don't believe in those things. Now, when we look at what's happening here in, verses, in these verses here, we see Paul talking about tongues, prophecy, healing, but these are definitely not all of the spiritual gifts. Uh, it's not a carefully worked out list. It's not exhaustive. What is Paul doing here? He's just trying to say that there is a diversity of gifts. Remember the whole issue with tongues? He's saying, no, no, no. It's not just tongues. There are many different gifts. That's why he gives a list. That's why there's diversity. In fact, if you look in the Bible, and I know you can't see this well, but there are multiple other passages that talk about other gifts, other charismata. Um, for example, in Romans, we see in their list there, prophecy, serving, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, mercy. These things are gifts as well. Uh, in fact, in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, later on in this chapter, we'll see him list there 
things that are more miraculous, but also helps, right? The, the redheaded stepchild of gifts. Everyone's like, oh, I got the gift of helps. That's all I have. No, that's an amazing gift, right? It is a gift because we need help. <laughs> we need help. Um, administration over there, gifts that sound very mundane, not flashy. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. Whoever speaks, whoever renders service, we can see here that these gifts are broad. So these more flashy gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses you know, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, those gifts, those are not the only gifts. They're not exhaustive. They are just a representation of diversity to the Corinthian church. There are many other gifts, and some of them seem more mundane, but they're important. They are important. Now, I want to stop here for one moment, and, you know, some of you might ask this question, you know, administration, things like that, how does that work, Ulysses? I mean, I can understand that, that spiritual gifts like prophecy and tongues and stuff like I can understand that as a spiritual gift, but administration? Are you saying that only people with the Holy Spirit within them and the gift of administration are good at administration? Are you saying that anybody who has the gift of administration, if the Holy Spirit's working in them, they have to be better than any non-Christian at administration? That can't be. There are people working as you know, secretaries and project managers who are really good at administration who are not Christians. Isn't that true? That's true, right? Uh, you, you can have a a COO, a chief operating officer of a Fortune 500 company, that guy or that woman is probably pretty good at what we would consider administration, right? So what does that mean? Does that mean that if you have the spiritual gift of administration, you got to be better than every other person who doesn't have the Holy Spirit at the way that they do administration? That's a pretty tall order, isn't it? So what do we mean by this? This, this is what I think this means. It, it doesn't mean that you need to be better than every, you need to be better administration than anybody else who is not a Christian in this world. What it means when the Spirit of God, the gift of God is within you, working in the area of administration, it means that you're able to do things that you couldn't do without the Spirit of God working in you. That the Spirit of God is empowering you to do things in administration that you couldn't have done before. He's empowering you to help in ways that maybe you wouldn't have helped before. And certainly now you're able to do things unto the glory of God as a Christian. You're able to do them through the power of the Holy Spirit to do things that you may not have been able to do before without the Spirit, and you're able to do it unto the glory of God. I think that's what it means to have the Spirit of God and the gifts, even in things like administration and helps and things like that. But now, let's broaden it even further here. In verses 4 through 6 here, look at what else Paul says here. He says, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, right? Gifts, the charismata. Right? But he says also in verse 5, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. The word service there in Greek is diakonia, the word where we get deacon from. That can refer to all kinds of work, friends all kinds of work. It referred in Acts chapter 6 
to making sure that the widows who were being overlooked in the daily distribution of bread were able to have enough food to provide for them. In the New Testament, uh, the word uh, serve here can also refer to civil service, serving the government. Paul uses in the 2 Corinthians to talk about collecting money to use for the poor. So, So this word service here that is empowered by the Holy Spirit in the context of chapter 12 is is something that is really broad. D.A. Carson, the theologian, he wrote, the point is that even everyday acts of service must be included under this rubric. So everyday acts of service could be empowered by the Holy Spirit as a gift, so to speak. In verse 6, Paul says, and there are varieties of activities. But it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. That word activities there in the Greek, it's energeia. Sounds like the word energy, right? That's where we get that word energy from. And the idea is the, the power of God working in you to do certain things, certain activities. So you can see what Paul's doing here is there is a real flattening here of the gifts here. It's not just the flashy ones. But when you serve, when the energy from God is working through you to do the activity of God, all of these things Paul is putting together as the working of the Holy Spirit, as gifting, so to speak. He flattens this out a lot here. Let's flatten it out even further. You ready to get crazy? You ready to get biblically crazy, friends? Let's flatten it out even further. Romans chapter 6, let's nerd out theologically. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is he talking about here in Romans? Salvation. That word gift there is charisma, charismata. Salvation is a gift from God. So if that's true, every Christian is a charismatic. (laughs) Cessationists are charismatic. Right? They, they've all received the gift of salvation. Let's get even crazier. You ready to get even crazier? Let's really get crazy now. Let's get crazy now. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says, I wish that all were as I myself am. Talking about being single, being celibate, right? Or at least single at that stage of his life. But each has his own gift. That word there is the charismata. Each has his own gift from God. One of one kind and one of another. So he's saying marriage... And singleness, celibacy, are a gift from God. According to 1 Corinthians 7 here, non-Christians are charismatics. (laughs) Because if you're not a Christian and you're married, you've received the gift of marriage from God. You've received the charisma. It's a gift. If you're not a Christian and you love being single and you enjoy that, you've received this potentially this gift of celibacy from God, this charisma from God. Even non-Christians, so to speak, are charismatics in that they've received gifts from God. So what's my point here? Um, My point is that us as a quote-unquote charismatic church, we use the term continuationist because charismatic can be a little bit loaded and charismatic can also be a little misleading like I'm explaining here now. Everybody's got charisma in some sense, right? Um, We're a continuationist church. My point is that we do not look at our brothers and sisters who are cessationists, even if they're sensationalist, cessationists, we do not look at them and say, oh, these guys, they don't have the Spirit of God. No, they have the Spirit of God. As they serve God, 
in their preaching, in their evangelism, in their study, in their works for the Lord. That is the Spirit of God working through them. And we're to acknowledge that they have the Spirit of God as well and not to look down upon them in that way. And I think that's really important for bringing unity within the Christian church. It's easy for us if we are moving in the spiritual gifts to kind of look down upon them and say, ah, they're they're second-class citizens in a way because they don't have the Spirit of God like we do. Let's acknowledge that, yes, there are differences, but the Spirit of God is working in them as well in different ways, right? Amen? But, but, you see, this is when the cessationist comes in and says, that's great, Ulysses. Let's just stop there, okay? Let's just, you know, everybody's got the Holy Spirit. When you became a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. Let's just go with that. Why do we need to get into these kind of more controversial or maybe for some people weird gifts, prophecy and tongues and and things like that, miraculous powers and whatnot. What are we, X-Men, Avengers? Like, come on, what are we we talking about here? Why don't we just stick with the Holy Spirit is working through all of us in, in because he's there? Well, the reason we don't stop there is because of books like 1 Corinthians, because of the Bible, which we believe teaches that these gifts are a plan of God for the church today. And if they are a part of the plan of God, we don't want to reject that because God knows what he's doing. I don't have time to today go into a huge argument for continuationism, but let me just uh, explain and just read from Acts 2, a passage that you're familiar with. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. The people began to speak in different languages, not the tongues that we're talking about in 1 Corinthians 12, but miraculous things were happening. And what does Peter say? when he explains to the crowd. He says, but this, what's happening, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. What is Peter saying here when he quotes Joel from the Old Testament? Sons and daughters prophesy, young men see visions, old men dream dreams. Why why does he pick prophecy, visions, and dreams? Why does he pick these? Why does Joel talk about those? Because prophecies, visions, and dreams are the characteristic hallmarks of prophets in the Old Testament. And prophets in the Old Testament, also called seers because they see, they see visions of God, they dream, they, they receive these revelations from God, they were seen as the people of the Spirit in the Old Testament time. God's Spirit worked in a, a special way upon them as prophets. And, and what's Joel saying? Joel's saying one day, one day, the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out upon God's people in such a way that it's not just going to be prophets who hear from God and move in the power of God in these special ways. It's going to be all God's children. One day he's going to pour out his spirit and that's going to happen. And Peter says, this thing that you're seeing, this miraculous thing where everybody's praising God and somehow everybody can understand them, even though we have people from all over the place, everybody hears them as if they're praising God in their own native language. What is this miraculous thing that's going on? Peter's saying, this is what Joel said. 
Jesus was crucified. Jesus was resurrected. He went up to be with the Father. He sent his Holy Spirit down. And now the Spirit of God is upon his people. And he's working in power and in his gifts. And that is the normal experience now that we should have as Christians. And and if that is what God has for us, if that is what he wants for us, how dare we reject that? We would be remiss to reject the wonderful gifts of God that he has given to us for his work, for building up the church, for the evangelization of the world. If this is the case, we would never want to call something good from God, a gift from God, evil. We wouldn't want to do that because the word of God says that God has given this to the church for our good. If this is the case, brothers and sisters, then we need the gifts in our church. And not just the broad, well, the Spirit of God is within us and He's moving, but the specific gifts as well that we see in the Bible, that we see in places like 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And what we see is that, yes, there is this really broad working of the Spirit of God in people. If you're a Christian, the Spirit of God is within you. You've received gifts, charisma, of salvation, maybe you're married, things like that. But there are also specific gifts that seem to work in people in special ways. In fact, we believe that people can actually even have, or if I could use the word possess in some way, certain gifts. You can have a certain gift. It seems like it works in certain people in a consistent way over time. This is why later in chapter 12, Paul says, and God has appointed in the church of first apostles, second prophets, right? It it seems like there are some gifts that work in people so consistently and regularly that it's become expected in them. For example, that they're prophets or that they work miracles or that they're healers. Not everybody. Sometimes it may come and go, but sometimes it stays with people And that's why we would say that, oh, that person has the gift of prophecy or could have the gift of healing. Um, In verse 4 here, when it says, now there are varieties of gifts, that that word varieties, it's better translated distributions. And, And I think that's helpful because the idea is God is distributing. There is an intentionality here. He is distributing gifts. He doesn't just, I don't know, take a whole basket of gifts and chuck it at everybody, you know, and then like, everybody run, free for all. Oh my gosh, I want that gift, I want that gift. Oh, I didn't get any. Kind of like a a poorly run Easter egg hunt, right? Some kid says, I got nothing, right? Nothing, big kids got everything, right? God doesn't do that. It says he distributes the gifts. He specifically says, this one needs this gift. He needs healing. She needs helps. Uh, She needs uh, a prophecy. He needs administration, and, and maybe more than one gift. And maybe at times working in a certain gift. And at times not. The Spirit working in mysterious ways. This is intentional. God, it, in God there is a diversity of gifts. I love how, it, notice the triune nature here of Paul here. What he's saying. But the same Spirit, Holy Spirit. But the same Lord, Kurios, Jesus. The same God, Theos, God the Father, there is, it seems like he's saying, he's pointing out the Trinity, right? Even within the Godhead, there is a diversity. There is a unity. There is only one God, 
but there is also a diversity. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God has created us in diverse ways and given us diverse gifts. D.A. Carson said this, The triune God loves diversity, so much so as someone has remarked that when he sends a snowstorm, he makes each flake different. God is a God who revels in diversity within the Godhead, but also in the way that he gives gifts to his people. Now, with that being said, what I'm going to do here is I just want to go through the gifts in this passage. I want to explain them a little bit to the best of my ability. Let me say first that there's a lot of unknowns here. We just simply don't know how a lot of these gifts worked exactly. Some of them we have a better idea than others, but still I think there's something that we can learn from them. So first here in in verse 8, he says, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. First two out of the nine. Um, Some people like to say, oh yeah, well, you know, Knowledge is God giving you knowledge of something that you couldn't have known before. You know, maybe you're, you're praying for somebody, and God reveals something about that person to you, and he wants you to share that with him. Or maybe in evangelism, God reveals to you something about somebody, and you go and you share that with him. And then they say, well, wisdom is different. It's like wisdom is just, you know, knowing what to do with the knowledge, right? I've heard somebody explain it before, saying knowledge is like knowing it's raining. Wisdom is like telling you to get out of the rain, something like that. But to be honest, we don't know. We don't know. Because wisdom and knowledge in the New Testament is often used in very overlapping and sometimes substitutionary ways, okay? But what it does seem to be saying is that there is revelation from God. God reveals in some way a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge. I think about Jack Deere, the professor, former professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, who was an ardent cessationist, did not believe in the spiritual gifts. But one day he's sitting in his office, minding his own business. He's talking about, he talks about this in his book, Surprised by the Voice of God. One of his students walks into the office. And as, student, as soon as the student walks in, Jack Deere looks at him and he sees written across his forehead the word pornography. But the word pornography was not written there. It wasn't. He didn't come in with a sh- like Sharpie and he wrote, that'd be awkward to say the least, right? awkward way to, I know we talked about confession brothers at men's retreat, but don't do that, right? That would be awkward. It wasn't really physically written there, but he says he saw it. It, But he knew it wasn't written there, but he saw it. And he addressed the young man about his life and if there was an issue there. And the young man said, yes. You know, he'd been struggling with this. And and Jack Deere was able to counsel him and, and minister to him. And that was a part of his journey of realizing, oh my gosh, okay, God does speak today. And he went from an ardent cessationist to being one of the um, you know, big voices of the, the charismatic, the continuationist movement um, a couple of decades ago. So it seems like it's in some way God revealing things to you in a revelatory way. Uh, verse 9, gift number 3, it says, To another faith by the same Spirit. Now, we all have faith. If you're a Christian, we've received the gift of faith from God. But this faith seems to be a different kind of faith. It seems to be like some type of extraordinary supernatural faith. In chapter 13, the next chapter, Paul talks about 
faith that can move mountains. Jesus talked about faith that can move mountains, right? We talked about James chapter 5, the prayer of faith at the men's retreat that can heal somebody who is sick. This seems to be an extraordinary um, endowment from the Holy Spirit to, to believe in this moment that God is going to do something. And it creates within you heroic faith. Maybe it's to pray for somebody. I believe God is going to be healing this person. You pray for that person with that faith. Maybe it's that God is going to um, really reach my neighborhood for Christ and you go out there and you begin to share the gospel with people. You just have that faith that God is going to bring it about, that it is his will. It is God's will to see something accomplished. And it, it fills you with faith and you move in that direction. That's what it seems like that is. Another one here, number four, it says, to another gifts of healing by the one, oh, oh faith. Let me, let me give you one other example of this before I move on. Um, George Mueller, the 19th century Christian evangelist and philanthropist who dedicated his life to caring for orphans in Bristol, England. He cared for hundreds of orphans um, during his life, if not thousands. And uh, there's one really famous story about him, about his faith, where he had his orphans there ready for dinner, but there was no food to feed them. So Mueller, George Mueller gathered them together and they prayed, thanking God for the food that they were about to receive. Even though there was nothing on the table, there's no food. Kids might have thought, man, Uncle George is, has lost it. There's nothing to eat here. Are we going to eat air? What are we going to eat here? But as soon as they finished praying, there was a knock at the door and the local baker came and he said that he woke up in the middle of the night with a strong urge to bake bread and to bring it to the orphanage. And George Mueller took that bread. Thank you very much. He took that bread. Shortly after that, there was another knock at the door. The milkman, his cart, 1800s, right? His cart broke down in front of the orphanage, and all the milk was going to go bad. So he said, Pastor George, could you use this milk? Can you please take it? Pastor George said, thank you very much. What took you so long, right? No, he didn't say what took you so long. But he's recognized as somebody who, who seemed like, man, that man had the gift of faith. In that moment when he was praying, giving thanks to food, he just knew that God was going to provide. That might be an example of the gift of faith. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. And what we mean by that is supernatural healing. That when we pray for somebody, God can heal them. He can heal them, whether it's, um, you know, uh, of cancer or of um, uh, some other illness. We believe that God is able to heal and that we should pray for each other. Now, we should all pray for healing. We can all do that, but it seems like certain people are gifted in this area to, for the Holy Spirit to work through them in healing when they pray for others. But one thing I want to point out here that's interesting is, notice that the word gift here is plural. It says gifts of healing. Notice that he doesn't say that there's one gift of healing. That if you have the gift of healing, you can heal them all. Come on, bring it, bring it out, you know? Uh, cancer, eczema, uh, whatever it is, you name it. Bad back, you know, uh, lupus, uh, I don't know, whatever. You name it, I can heal it, right? He doesn't say that. He says gifts. Now, why? We don't, we don't totally know. It could be that, is it that the Holy Spirit heals sometimes when you pray for people? but not others. There are various gifts like events of healing, maybe. Or maybe it means certain people might be gifted to heal certain conditions, certain diseases. I think that's possible. Maybe somebody God really uses to pray for and heal people 
with cancer. Maybe somebody else God uses to pray for and heal um, particular skin conditions. I, I don't know. But it's interesting that the word is plural there. So if you've ever thought, hey, I prayed for somebody and it, it seemed like there was healing, God was doing something, and I prayed for somebody else and nothing happened. Oh, I, I don't know. Maybe I don't have the gift. Well, maybe keep praying for where you have like a positive track record, right? Maybe, maybe you have a particular gift in that area. Verse 10, he says, to another, the working of miracles. Now, we know that these miracles are not just healing because healing is separate, right? It can include healing, but if it was just healing, Paul wouldn't list it again. So these are workings of miracles in some other way. And uh, I know that that sounds like, wow, what, what, what is that, you know? Um, how come we don't see more of that in our day? Maybe we need to pray more for that. Maybe we need to pursue the gift of working of miracles. Um, one example, possibly, is when Elimus, the sorcerer in the book of Acts, is trying to turn somebody away from God. Remember, Paul is evangelizing, right? Sharing the gospel, and Elimus is trying to turn that man away from God. What does Paul do? Paul calls down blindness upon him. He says, Elimus, you're going to be blinded. You won't, you won't be able to see anything for a while. And Elimus went blind, right? That's... You know, if you're hanging out with Paul, you'd be like, Paul, you're, you're, you're a stud, you know? Or like, miraculous powers, I guess that's an example of that. I don't know. It might be that, but it is, it is the working of miracles. And it's something that Paul says God endues certain people with. To another, prophecy. Now, prophecy, contrary to pop culture, prophecy is not primarily about telling the future, like if you hear somebody has the gift of prophecy, you may think, oh, God, tell me, who am I going to marry? Who am I going to get married? You know, am I going to get married? When am I going to get married? Tell me, should I take this job? Should I not take that job? Which one, which one is, what's my right path, right? Like it's like a, your life is a choose-your-own-adventure book, and he already saw the end, or she already saw the end, and knows which way you should go. Prophecy in the Bible is actually more about what we call forthtelling rather than it is about foretelling. It's not foretelling most of the time, telling the future or what's going to happen. It can include that. But most of the time, what prophecy is, it's speaking forth the heart of God for that moment into that situation. Most of the prophets in the Old Testament, sure, they talked about the future. But, you know, I haven't done a, a study of this, but I would bet you the majority of the time they were talking to the Israelites about their current condition. Turn back to God now. You're his people. Stop worshiping false gods. Turn back to him. They were speaking the heart of God to people. This is uh, not something that comes from ourselves, but we believe that God can speak to us and have a message for other people to encourage them, to build them up, to bless them. If God created us with mouths and we speak and communicate to each other, why would we think it's so strange that God can speak to us and give us a message for somebody else or for the church. We believe that prophecy is for today. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. Now, this is interesting as well. What does that mean? What do you mean distinguishing between spirits? Some people think that this might mean being able to tell a false prophet from a true prophet. I think Probably more likely what this means is being able to tell if a spirit is a demonic spirit 
or if a spirit is from God and something good, that people have this discernment from the Holy Spirit to just be able to sense what is from God and what is not. I can easily imagine that people who are involved more in the casting out of evil spirits, that this might be a gift that is more active in them. And eighth here, he says, to another, various kinds of tongues, and related to it, lastly, the interpretation of tongues. And tongues here is not talking about earthly languages. This is not the tongues of Pentecost because people heard them speaking in Aramaic or in, I don't know, in Greek or in whatever their home language was. It was a very particular type of unique event that happened on the day of Pentecost. But tongues here is talking about when you pray in tongues, you're speaking in some way something that nobody can understand. In, in chapter 13, Paul talks about the tongues of men and of angels, right? This is speaking in a language that nobody can understand, including yourself. We don't know what that is. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that when you speak in tongues, nobody understands you. You're speaking to God. Nobody understands you. If it was an earthly language, you wouldn't need the gift of interpretation. You would just need a dictionary. You would just need, if you're speaking German, somebody who speaks German. Don't need to be a Christian. Don't need to have the Spirit of God. Don't need to have the gift of interpretation. You just need somebody who speaks German. He's like, oh, I could tell you what that is. Let me interpret. Paul says nobody can understand. Nobody can understand. And that brings in the gift of interpretation of tongues, where somebody says, I understand what that means. Let me tell you all what it means. And as I will go on to explain later in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, interpreted tongues becomes prophecy. It becomes a revelation from God for the people. Tongues is a prayer language to God that as we pray, we will see later as well in the chapter, that it strengthens and edifies yourself. It strengthens you in the Holy Spirit. But when God sometimes wants that to be a message for the people, it gets interpreted and then it becomes prophecy. Now, Paul says, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So, what's the big picture here? We all have the Spirit of God. Continuationist, cessationist, we all have the Spirit of God. We have the Spirit of God working in us in different ways, in continuationist and in cessationist. But we also believe that the Holy Spirit works in very specific ways, where there are specific gifts, even these more miraculous-seeming gifts that are for the church and for today. And as verse 7 says, they're given to each one, to each person, for the common good. For the common good. Now, let me conclude here. Um, I'll invite the worship team up at this time. Let me conclude here. What is the takeaway from this? It seems very doctrinal. What do we do with this? Two, two encouragements, two takeaways here. The first one is this. Maybe some of you here um, grew up in a, I don't know, a more charismatic background. Maybe some of you have had negative experiences with the gifts and where you, it seems like certain people are upholding certain gifts above others and making them special. Maybe for you, you felt like, oh, I didn't have the gift of prophecy. I didn't have the gift of healing. Well, I guess, what can I do for the Lord then? Um, 
I want to encourage you that, to know that whatever it is that we do for the Lord, whether it's through gifts or service or activities, it is the power of God working through you. The Holy Spirit is in each and every one of you. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit is working through each and every one of you. And you can, you can use that strength from the Holy Spirit, that charismata, that manifestation of the Holy Spirit in your life to serve Him, to do things that you could not do if you did not have the Holy Spirit of God. It doesn't just have to be tongues. It doesn't just have to be prophecy. Man, when our, when our, when our people here push carts, when they set up and they tear down, man, they can do that with the Spirit of God within them for the glory of the kingdom of God. Our people back there on, the, you know, on our production team, they can be doing slides, they can be mixing sound unto the glory of God and with the enabling and power of the Holy Spirit. You can go into your workplace wanting to love your fellow co-workers, wanting to share the gospel with them through the power, the charismata of the Holy Spirit that is within you, working in you powerfully and, mighty and mightily. In all of your working, in all of your speaking, as Peter said, in your speaking, when you see somebody who's down and you go to encourage them, when there's somebody who's lonely and, and you go and you be their friend, you can let the Holy Spirit work through you in a powerful way to touch and to bless that person. Because the Holy Spirit is within you. You're not a second-class citizen. Every one of you, if you're a believer, you have the Spirit of God powerfully working within you. And God is calling all of us to take those gifts, to use those gifts for the kingdom of God. Secondly, let's also be a church that prays for specific gifts as well. That doesn't say, well, you know, that tongues, prophecy, healing, interpretation, those kind of things. Let's just stick to the administration, the helps, the, uh, the less flashy ones, the more palatable, palatable ones, the more socially acceptable ones. If, if, the, if this is what God has given to us and it is a gift from the Lord, it is good. It is to be used. It is to be received with thanksgiving. It is to be received in faith saying, God, if you have given this to us, then we need it. We need it for the building up of the church. We need it for the evangelization of the world. We need it to be able to love our neighbors and those around us. And maybe for some of you, God is putting upon your heart to pray for some of these things. Maybe some of you have moved in some of these gifts in the past, but you've neglected them. Like Paul said to Timothy, don't neglect the gift that was given to you by the laying on of hands, by the elders. Fan it into flame once again. Maybe some of you prayed in tongues in the past, but you haven't in a long time. Maybe it's time to go home and, and pray in tongues again. Maybe some of you really pursued prophecy before, but you gave that up. Maybe you were in a, a church where you had a kind of like a bad experience. It's like, ah, oh, let me just leave that part out of my life. Maybe God is calling you to come back again to that. But to be grounded in the Word of God, to do it with humility and properly grounded in the truth of God. Perhaps he's calling you to pray as well, specifically. So let's stand together as, as we respond at this time. Let's just pray uh, together right now. Can we just, um, I want to invite you to, to put your hands out as a symbol 
of receiving from the Lord. And would you just, along with me right now, just pray and ask for more of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in your life. Empowerment to, maybe it's to prophesy or to speak in tongues or to heal. Or maybe asking for power to go and really love that neighbor who lives next door to you. Power to really go and love a difficult coworker. Power to, to push carts in a way that you, God gives you strength where you don't grow tired and you give glory to God. Whatever it might be, power to love your spouse and to love your kids and raise them in the Lord. Let's just ask for more of the Spirit of God. We need the power of the Holy Spirit and not our own strength because our own strength will run dry. We will grow weary. But God gives us His Spirit so that we will soar on wings like eagles. Can we just right now just ask in whatever way God is leading you for more of the Spirit of God in your life? Just come and and just bring your heart before the Lord right now. Just ask Him to touch you right now, to fill you, to energize you, to, to give you that heart of diakonia, service, to give you the charismata, the manifestation of the Spirit. Let's pray for that together for a minute right now. Oh God, Lord, I pray. Come, Lord God. Oh Lord, pour out your Spirit, God, upon each and every person. Each and every person here, God. Lord, Lord, we need more of your Spirit in our lives, God. We need more of the power of your Holy Spirit. Come. Come, God. Come, God. Lord, it is not us. It is not our own abilities. It is the manifestation of the Spirit of God. It is you. It is you working through us, God. Lord, Lord, these gifts are not our own powers, our own abilities, but Lord, they are you working through us. So Lord God, we, we, we humbly declare that we need more of you to work through us, God. We need more of your power, Lord God, to, to share the gospel. Lord God, to love our neighbors, to love our coworkers. Lord God, to to hear the voice of God and to be able to encourage and build up others around us, God. Lord, we need more of the movement of your spirit, God. We need you, Lord. Secondly, let's also pray. Let's just pray for more of the spirit of God in our church. Can we pray that we would be a church that is moving in the power of the spirit of God? Let's pray that, yeah, we would be a church well-grounded in the word of God, properly handling it properly handling and respecting the Word of God with fear and trembling. But let's also pray, too, that 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 should lead us to a greater desire for the power of God and the manifestation of the Spirit. Let's pray that the power of God would fill our church as well, and that this would be a people, a place where people come and they see that, that God that God is not a deistic God. He's not, he didn't make the world wind it up and walk away. He's here. He's moving. He's working. He's present. He's alive and well. Let's pray that he would be seen in our church. Let's pray for the power of God in that way together. God, we pray, Lord. Oh, Lord, we pray. God, Lord, for the filling of your spirit, God, in this place, Lord. Oh, God, Lord, like the disciples when they prayed in the upper room, Lord God, they prayed for boldness. They prayed, God, for your spirit, Lord, and the room shook. The room shook, Lord God, and you filled them with with courage and with boldness, God. Lord, you have distributed, Lord God, to, to each and every person gifts, God. 
Lord, Lord, I pray, God, that, Lord, you would fan those in the flame, God, and that this church would be a miracle-working church. God, we pray that this would be a church where, where healing takes place, God, so people can see that you are the Lord of life, that you are the one who can heal. Uh, you, are, you are Lord over nature, God, and that in you is ultimate healing, is spiritual healing, and is one day physical resurrection as well, God. Oh, Lord, we pray, God, that our church would be a place where people come and, and they experience the God who speaks, that they would experience the God who speaks, not like the, the mute idols of, of a verse 2, Lord God, but a God who speaks, Lord. Lord God, a God who communicates. You've made us in your image, God. A God who loves to speak to your children, who speaks to this world, God. Oh, Lord, we pray that people would come as they're, as they're searching out there, as they're looking in all sorts of spirituality and Eastern mysticism and the occult and, and, and magic and all these things. Lord, they want to be in touch with something deeper, but they're, they're being led astray to the wrong things. God, we pray that they would see that God speaks and is alive and is here in this church, Lord. Oh, we pray for your power, Lord God. Father, we pray, God, help us to be a church that truly lives according to your word uh, boldly, actively, Lord God, we, that we pursue the movement of your Holy Spirit in everything that we do and also in the specific giftings that you've distributed to us, God, in all of it, Lord. We want all of it, God, because you are good, because you know what we need, Lord God. And you, Jesus says that you are building your church. So God, we say, equip us, fill us with the work of your spirit, Lord God, and may your name be glorified. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together with all of our heart and with the power of the Holy Spirit.